Tonight I want to start into a topic that I think is going to be part of a long-term exploration that I would like to do here. And we may not stay on this topic every single time I'm here, because there's other things that come up from time to time. But this is a theme that I've mentioned before. I'm just going to say it again, because some of you haven't heard it. And I've mentioned it several times. Some of you have heard it several times. It's a big topic. And actually, the whole Dharma is contained, the whole path of practice, and actually all the Dharma teachings are contained in it. So, and it's a statement of the Buddha, in which he said that anybody who has ever, ever been enlightened, or who is currently enlightened, of course, that would be 2,500 years ago when he said it, or whoever will become enlightened in the future, has done so by, and there's these three pieces that he said, by setting aside the hindrances, and then cultivating the four foundations of mindfulness, and then through that, realizing the seven factors of enlightenment. So that's a lot. And it may sound like way too much stuff here. But so over time, we're going to work our way through that. And it's actually, the idea is, I hope it will actually seem like it applies to each of us in our lives. Because there's a lot in there. So the first piece that I'm just going to name, but we're not going to spend time on tonight, because I want to actually go right to the hindrances. But we should just say, the whole setup for this was, it's of interest for anyone who ever has been, is, or will be enlightened. So that's a whole big piece of, what did the Buddha mean by enlightenment? What was he talking about? I actually want to come back to that at some point, and spend some time on that. We've talked about it here some. What was he talking about? And is that something that any of us are, you may or may not be interested in that idea, or even know what it is. It may not be something you think about at all. For now, I would just like to say that for whatever it is that brings us to meditation practice, and for whatever it is that brings us to the Dharma, in whatever way we want to plug into that, this still applies. Setting aside the hindrances, cultivating, practicing the four foundations of mindfulness, and through that, realizing the seven factors of enlightenment. Actually, even if we don't name it, that's actually what's happening any time you do Vipassana meditation practice. That's actually what happens. If you do nothing but pay attention to the breath, for example, and you've never heard of any of this stuff, or you're just trying to calm down and settle down a little bit, actually all of these different pieces are at play. But as we start to tease it apart and come to know it, we actually can do, there's a lot more we can do. And we can start to pay attention to different aspects when they're really working well for us. We can know, oh, which factors of enlightenment are present now, for example. Which ones do we need to work on a little bit? 
which, you know, when we really understand the four foundations of mindfulness well, it broadens, it, it adds many tools to our toolkit for meditation practice. Understanding the hindrances is uh, uh, really foundational for any of this work. So all of this applies even if we aren't thinking in terms of, you know, enlightenment like the Buddha or whatever our concept of that is. Some of you may have heard a lot of talks on the hindrances and some of you may, it may be brand new for you. So we'll actually lay it out tonight. I don't think we're going to finish with the hindrances in one night, but um, we'll get a start on it. So when you go back and look at the uh, poly language discourses that have been preserved uh, in our tradition, the teachings that come from the Buddha, the hindrances are prob probably come up as much as any other single topic that you can find in the suttas. It's a real big deal. And no matter what the Buddha is talking about cultivating and developing, uh, invariably, it starts off with uh, talking about the hindrances, how they causes troubles, they're obviously without even saying what they are, just by the name hindrances, it's pretty obvious there's some things that get in our way in somehow that are obstacles, that are blocks for us in some way. Invari invariably, there's something about what they are, how, how they cause us trouble, and then how to work skillfully to get past this, and just the importance of in some way either getting rid of them completely or at least bringing, subduing them or bringing down the intensity on them so they can be worked with so they're not stumbling blocks for us. Um, a perfect example is when we come sit here to meditate, uh, you know, and usually what happens is in this room, and you know, um, uh, as people are leaving from other things they're doing in the beginning part of the meditation, it usually almost always gets quiet, but the first few minutes, tend to be kind of noisy. People, other things are letting out, people are going home. And so it's, it's not that quiet, right? So um, um, if it's really, really, really noisy, if your mind, we'll get into all this more in detail later, but for now I just want to say if your mind is, if your concentration's good, if your mindfulness is steady, it's not a problem. Even in those times when uh, there's so-called distractions going on out there. If your concentration's not strong, if your mindfulness is wobbly, and or other factors, other things going on, um, it can be a hindrance for us because it can really make it hard to, we just get caught up in it. We're in reaction maybe, we have a lot of aversion coming up or negativity or, you know, I hate this room or what are those people doing or whatever. And all of a sudden we're not, uh, we're off, lost off in, and our thoughts and our feelings and like that. So we can see that um, if that were true for us, what would be helpful is to somehow bring the intensity down, either the intensity of what's happening or the intensity of our reactions, so then we can get a handle on things and start to work with it. 
So you can see right there is an example, if you're really caught up in a lot of anger, say, I, I, uh, I've talked before about one night when there was a big party going on out here, a, a big gathering, you know, there's hundreds of people in this courtyard when we were here to meditate, and there was just no way, right? So you just kind of were hanging out with the noise, basically. And I was talking about trying to work with it, and I noticed one person, and we really said a lot about this is the way it is, and they did this once a year, and and, and, and some you know, he was just about to explode. And he finally just got up and left. And I'm not criticizing him. I'm just saying there was so much reactivity and aversion that he just couldn't even, he just had to leave, which maybe was the best thing he could have done. So we need to know to recognize these hindrances, understand them well, and then have some tools on how to work with them. You can't do mindfulness practice if you're buffeted around by your desires or hatred or just all these forces and everything just totally caught up and that the mind's not going to settle down. The, uh, the, the Pali texts often talk about, talk in terms that can be very, sound very negative sometimes. In some branches of Buddhism, there's a lot of really wonderful, beautiful uh, language that used to talk about our true nature. They'll say things like, our true nature is like luminous, radiant consciousness. Well, that sounds pretty nice to me. Or other things, you know, uh, Buddha nature, or all this kind of language. That's mostly language that came in later uh, developments in Buddhism. And it's not right or wrong, but it's just a different way of talking. In the early uh, discourses, the early tradition, it tended to use more negative sounding language. And it actually is in the uh, Christian Latin tradition, there's what they call the via negativa and the via positiva, the way of affirmation, the way of negation. And they were both ways to come to spirituality or to come to God. You can say, for example, you can say what God is, right, if you were in that tradition practicing. You know, God is, I don't know, whatever, all-knowing, all-loving, all-compassionate, omniscient, whatever. That's sort of via positiva. Or you could kind of say to be a negative of what God isn't. And by, you know, cutting away what it is and isn't, isn't, you're left with what it is. And so the polysuttas tend to talk in more, it's just a, it's just a way, it's the via negativa. They aren't really trying to say, you know, they don't use language like what's our true nature so much. They're more looking at, at what are the things that keep us from being free, from realizing the deepest truths, from realizing this highest enlightenment, if you will. And then let's take care of those. Let's clear them away. And as those are cleared away, we're, the, the, the obstacles that just know, we don't, we don't have to talk about those things. They just, you just come into a direct knowing. Right? So hindrances is kind of a, a negative sounding language. And it's tied in with a couple of other ways that we should just be aware of when we're talking about hindrances also. There are, because uh, hindrances, the, the list of the hindrances overlaps another list, which we're not going to get into, and you don't have to remember, of what are called defilements. 
Many of you might not care about the poly language, but occasionally we'll just mention the poly term. A few people might be interested. You don't have to know. It's called kilesis. It means defilements. Have you ever heard the term kilesis? In the poly discourses in the suttas, they're not really, there's the list of what they are isn't really brought together in a list in the suttas. In the later commentarial works, they actually list them out. There's this 10 kilesis that are listed there. And they're kind of similar to the hindrances. So it's defilements. They're talking about the, def our, the defilements in our minds. So and once again, keep in mind, that's kind of this negative language. You know, saying, well, gee, you know, you're mild. Say, you know, our minds are defiled. It does sound just kind of negative. But what they're trying to say is it's a defilement. So it's, it's, it's a, a way of talking. It's not saying you're bad or you're dirty or something like that, but it's a way of talking because it's considered a defilement. It's just the way the language they use. Another way to say it is it's just uh, forces within us that tend to hook us into them, that tend to cloud over seeing clearly, seeing more deeply into the true nature of things, to keep us from seeing our true nature, if you want to use that kind of language. And so they kind of to take what is not defiled and, and make it, if you want to say that, it's just clouds things. It would be sort of like if you wanted, an image that's sometimes used is if there's this beautiful pond and the water's so clear and you want to see down to the bottom where maybe there's little creatures or there's plants or whatever and you just see crystal clear. If you ever look in a, and it's perfectly still on the surface and if you actually look down is beautiful and then if and I'll, we'll come back to some of these images that they use if either the, the wind blows on the surface of the water or you throw mud into you know mix dirt up and stir up the water you can't see clearly to the bottom and so your vision is clouded you could you wouldn't necessarily in that example say the water's been defiled but there's just it's been muddied there's just other, you know, you don't have the clarity. So that's the idea of this thing called the defilements. That's one list. And there's another list, one last one I want to name, which is also kind of a funny word. It's, it's normally called the taints. You know, to taint something. Something's been tainted. T-A-I-N-T, a taint. The word in Pali, asava. Asavas are the taints. And this is a list of three or four qualities. I don't want to actually name what they are because each of the qualities of the taints are um, huge topics. Well, maybe I'll say like ignorance, for example, is a taint. Some of the other, other uh, cravings and things are actually what well, we'll get to because they're part of the, they show up in the list of hindrances. I mention that because it's another one of these negative kind of uh, way of talking about things that's talked about, mentioned many, many times in the suttas. And what happens is, by working with this first group of difficulties, if you want to call them, or, or troublesome mind states that are called the hindrances, that's the doorway in to begin the practice. And then through these practices, it culminates in overcoming or, or really uh, killing off or uprooting completely, if you will, uprooting the defilements 
or also a way the Buddha's often quoted on it. You do all these, you know, you go through all these stages of enlightenment and practice, and the end, the way it's invariably said is, and through the ending or overcoming of the destruction of the taints, one comes to complete liberation. So we begin with working with some of the difficulties. So it's working with them is, is both the beginning of practice and the ending of it is then the fruition in another form. It's not only ending of the hindrances completely, but also talked about of the taints or the defilements. So there's different ways that it gets language. I'm just talking about it just for completeness because these will come up from time to time as we're talking about. I may bring in some actual of the texts. Occasionally we might read them a little bit or something. So there's different ways of this negative kind of language that are used. So let me name quickly what the hindrances are. And we'll come back over. If you don't remember them, I'm actually going to give you a little uh, trick, which I've said here before, so that you'll never forget the hindrances ever again when I tell you this little trick. You won't have to actually memorize them. You'll just naturally always remember. But I'm going to save that to the end. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, you know, when you go on to some TV show or news program, whatever, they, they kind of give you the teaser. But you don't really get that until the last 10 minutes because you've got to watch the whole show, right? So it's kind of like that. But uh, well, that's the weather. <laughs> it's the weather, that's right. So let me just name what the hindrances are, and then we're going to spend some time tonight and onward about really getting to know them and how to work with them and how, the, how they show up and different skillful ways of handling each one. There are five hindrances. The first hindrance is uh, sense desire. Sense desire. Before I move on, you may think, well, why is sense desire a hindrance? I mean, you know, we all are human beings. We all have sense desire, right? Do I want to end up being numb and have no feelings, become kind of a passive blob and, and not have any desire? So that may, I don't know, that may come up for you, right? Uh, you know, if you listen to the radio and these, I don't know, Viagra ads come on, you know, they're, they're advertising, you know, or herbal supplements to increase your desire, right? So there's a lot of messages out there in society saying, well, desire is not a hindrance. That's kind of the goal. We want to kind of build up our desire. So we want to come back and look at that. But that's the first hindrance. So we'll have to see, well, why is that a hindrance? Would that be also like a desire for food? Well, we're going to talk about that. Actually, we're going to take a look at desires because okay. let's just say for now, okay. if you didn't have a desire to do something that was good for you, you wouldn't do it, okay. right? So I don't. It's not saying, right? If you didn't have a desire for dharma and for meditating, you wouldn't do it. So we want to really explore this a little bit. For for now, I'm just kind of a little teaser here. I'm just saying there's sense desires. The first hindrance, second hindrance is aversion, or it's actually called ill will. Ill will. Sometimes it's also called hatred. Sometimes the sense desire is also a euphemism for that is greed. So there's sense desire, ill will. The third one then is two words, restlessness. Sometimes restlessness and worry, or I've heard it, restlessness and remorse. Well, sometimes you'll hear people just say restlessness, but it's actually these two words are the hindrances. And, um, and so we'll come back to say those about that. Fourth one is, and this the language is so descriptive of this state, uh, sloth and torpor. 
sloth and torpor is a hindrance. And the fifth one is called skeptical doubt. Don't worry if you don't remember that. I just want to name what those five hindrances are. One of the problems when we start to work, and this is one of the most important points about working with any of these difficulties, is by their very nature, in order to, let me say it this way, in order to work skillfully with the hindrances, we have to be clear enough, we have to have enough discernment, if you will, to know what's the, that, that we're in a hindrance, to know what's needed, what's the wisest course of action, right? You need some discernment, some clarity, some awareness of what's going on. Yet by their very nature, they, they block clear seeing, they block the very discernment that we need in order to deal with them. So a perfect example of that is if you're caught in ill will and say you're angry at somebody, whatever happened and you're really mad, it's very common to feel very justified and you don't actually realize, and you actually may be justified. You know, somebody did something and it's not okay that that happened, for example, maybe. And we may not notice, and, and even if you are justified, it doesn't mean that we, we still want to know, just be aware that, wow, there's ill will, there's hatred, there's some kind of negativity, aversion going on in the mind, in the heart right now. Right? But oftentimes, that's just in that example, when these powerful forces come up, and especially when they are very strong, it's easier when they're just a little weak. And that's one of the tips, by the way, in how we work with them. We don't necessarily start with the strongest, because maybe that's too hard. Right? We'll come back to that. Um, when they're very strong, it colors our perception. Right? We actually uh, perhaps don't see that, okay, this person did that, wasn't okay, you need to deal with it, it needs to be addressed, and there's a lot of negativity going on in the mind. We just see in our minds maybe all we know is that person's a jerk or whatever. And that's, and, and they, that's just seem, it doesn't seem, it, it seems like that's really just what it is. And we need to kind of uh, step back and peel back a few layers, right? Perfect example of that is when I've shared this here before, uh, this was last month, I was driving on 880, and uh, I was over more towards, you know, there's, I don't know, four or five or six lanes, I don't know how many lanes across there is, there's a number of lanes, I was way over towards the right, lots of room, wasn't that crowded of traffic, and a, a pickup truck just zoomed up right behind me, and then, zo I don't know what was going on, zoomed around me, and took off, and stuck his hand out and flipped me off as he went by. And just to be honest about it, there might have been, I don't know, maybe a slight mind moment or two where possibly uh, a slight hint of the potential for ill will <laughs> arose in the mind. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> 
I popped out of the trance before too long, but my initial feeling was, you know, what's with this jerk? You know, or something like that. Came up. And then, uh, pretty quickly, fortunately, I kind of popped out of that, and I still kind of had those feelings, but I was just aware that, okay, this happened, and the feelings, I could see it more mindfully and just notice that ill will was arising in, in the mind, and I could, could be seen and worked with then. So that's a perfect example. But in the moment when it happened, when I was first caught in it, until I kind of woke up out of the trance, the guy was just a jerk. So by its very nature, it masked over, it, it, it colored my perception. That's the, the um, kind of the subversive quality of these hindrances. When we're really caught up in our desire, we don't necessarily see it in the moment. We're just in it, you know, which I just want the chocolate or that person or this car or whatever. And the same thing when we're experiencing sloth and torpor. If we're really sleepy, you may actually need sleep. You may not need sleep. Sloth and torpor can be worked with a lot of different ways. Sleepiness can be worked with. But we'll tell ourselves, you know, first thing, just like, well, yeah, I need sleep before we necessarily investigate this hindrance of sloth and torpor. It's not saying you don't need sleep. So, and the same for all these skeptical doubt, which is probably, uh, I think it's the most insidious of all for me, and, and it's talked about in that way sometimes, because it just cuts your whole, you just doubt yourself. So when doubt's coming up, it's one thing to be in the doubt and to know uh, wow, doubt's coming up. Okay, I see that. That's a real different quality than um, just to be to believe it. Like I can't do this, or nobody's going to trust me, or I'm not really a good meditator. Or I don't know whatever you're saying. You're just caught in it. You see, it's a real different quality. So that's the first thing we have to really come to know about the hindrances: is, is that they're tricky. One of the images that's used a lot in the suttas is of this uh, character who shows up. It's probably named Mara, M-A-R-A, -A, Mara. And in the suttas, Mara is taken two ways. He's actually a real figure. He's kind of like a deity-type figure. He's got these, you know, he's kind of got all these powers and everything, but he's sort of evil. He's evil. And his job is not necessarily to make you feel unpleasant feelings. His job is to keep you from getting awakened and to keep you stuck in, in, all, in just the world of, it's to stop you from coming to full awakening, just to be caught in, up in things. That's what Mara's job is. So Mara can be seen, some take Mara literally, as that there is this Mara figure, and some take it figuratively, which is, you know, if Mara took you over, it, it means uh, you got, you know, just swept up, taken over by these powerful forces. And so, for example, on the night of the Buddha's enlightenment, uh, it, the story is, is that Mara saw that the Buddha was, um, he, he, you know, he, he could see what's going on. He could see, okay, the Buddha's about to break through into final enlightenment. Well, he, he just, he, 
You can't let that happen. So it said Mara attacked the Buddha with all his armies. And he's got these daughters, you know, which, uh, who were super, uh, you know, attractive and beautiful. He sent his daughters, you know, and, and, and that's that sense desires, lust, and everything. So basically, what it's saying is the Buddha was um, uh, visited by all these intense, powerful forces that we all know. And there's, you know, and you go on and on about uh, uh, all the different forces that attack the Buddha. But because it's, uh, and normally what would happen with, with Mara is if he saw someone like one of the monks who was meditating back in those days, the story would say, well, Mara would, would say, well, I just, I'll just send my daughters you know, to visit him. And, and what it would mean is, is that it would be so much desire that you know, they'd disrobe or they would, you know, just it was all over and then this, this job's done there. You know, and it was no big deal for him. He just, well, I'll just hit him with a little, you know. And that's Mara, right? So um, uh, these hindrances, you know, it's acknowledged that as human beings, we're not doing anything wrong, and, and this is another important point. In any aspect of life, and certainly in Dharma practice and in meditation practice, you will come to know the hindrances very well. In order to work with them, to free them, we have to understand their nature. Just like if you want to get free from suffering, we have to understand the nature of suffering so we can learn to work with it, right? Well, how is it that we understand the nature of suffering? How do you understand something? You have to come to know it. You have to experience it. So one of the things that often happens is people say, well, yeah, you know, I want to understand my suffering so I can learn to work with it and get free from it. I don't want to actually feel any suffering. <laughs> right? When suffering comes, we can start to change our relationship with it and to see that um, it's not anything bad going on or we just get all caught in and reactive and, oh, I've got to make this bad thing go away. I'm not saying that's easy to do, especially when it's big suffering. Right? It's easy for the littler things. The big stuff... You know, it's easier said than done. That's a whole different thing. We work the best we can. We work the best we can. If we can start to see our suffering, to come to know it when it's there, oh, there's suffering here. That's right. I'm trying to come to know this, to get some understanding of it. So let me, instead of turning away, I can actually turn into it feel it. What's going on in my body? What goes on in the mind? How do I relate to my suffering? Really, there's a whole bunch of ways we can work with it. It's unpleasant because we're going turning right into, you know, they talk about turning into the skid. You know, if you're ever driving in um, snow or ice and you start to skid, you know, if you start to skid off to the left, you better not do a hard turn on your steering wheel. I think I'm saying this right. You've got to kind of turn your wheel. You've got to get, it's, it's counterintuitive turn your wheel into it so it won't, the car won't be fighting against it and then you can kind of get some control and come out of it. Well, it's the same thing in the suffering. It's this idea of turning into the skid. It's turning into it to come to know it, but we don't want to do it. Same thing with these hindrances when they arise. What will tend to happen is, if they're strong, if we're caught up in a lot of difficult feelings, ill will, any kind of negativity, 
or we're caught up in a lot of craving. Oh, that's the, that's the sense desire part. Or any of these other ones, you know, sloth and torpor, it's hard to work with because it, it feels so uncomfortable, right? If we can be awake enough to know, oh, it's a hindrance arising, then at least we have the chance, to, instead of automatically reacting and contracting around it, to start to shift how we're working with it. So that's the first piece, is we have to know enough. It goes back to the original problem. We have to be awake enough and have enough clarity to know there's a hindrance so we can do what needs to be done to bring the hindrance down. So there's a lot of aspects to these hindrances. There's a lot there in gaining some skill around them. So that's all intro, but all of that's important. It's actually not in just intro. Uh, there's a lot of aspects in learning before we even get specifically into individual hindrances. Right? We're going to take time and explore these different hindrances uh, and uh, learn about them. And then when we understand them, it becomes obvious why in order to go deep into meditation, you have to have suppressed or set aside or overcome the hindrances to some degree. So one thing that we're going to come back to, but I just want to mention for now, is a degree of con concentration suppresses the hindrances. It doesn't uproot the potential for them to arise, but it uh, suppresses them. As a matter of fact, one of the images that is given is, because when the, when, well, let me just say this, when, when the mind is concentrated, it's steady, it's clear, it's not buffeted around by all these things, and you just see what's going on. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, any of you ever had an MRI? A few heads are nodding. Well, I got my first MRI yesterday <laughs> on my shoulder, and I gotta have, well, probably have to have a little, you know, but, you know, scope type surgery, I tore a little something in there. So they give me an MRI. And it was really kind of, I loved it. And I know if you're claustrophobic, it can be hard, but you know, they, it puts you into that little tunnel where the magnet is, and you're, it's pretty close around you. And they give you these earplugs. They say it's going to be really, really noisy. They give you earplugs. And then on top of that, you put this headset on, big earphones, so they can also talk to you and say, okay, hold still, the next one's going to come, for, it's going to last three minutes or whatever. But also it's another layer of blocking out the sound. And even with the earplugs and the headphones, it sounds like a jackhammer's going off next to your head. I mean, your whole, it's vibrating, it's really, really loud. I, I have no idea how loud it must be if you didn't have the earplugs. It'd probably just be too much. What was interesting is, um, so I was lying, it was 20 minutes, the whole procedure, I'm in there, and so I was lying just still as I could, just breathing quietly, I was meditating. And I'm not making any big claims here in what I'm about to say, because, you know, we can have, all of us will have our good and bad times in the meditation, if you will. But I happen to have been able to concentrate very well then, so I kind of got into some really strong concentration as I first got in there. And so then, you know, the jackhammer's going or whatever by my head, and it was just no problem. It literally was zero difference to me whether that was going or if I was just you know, sitting in the most blissful meditation, quiet meditation center anywhere. 
Now, any of you who have experience around getting some concentration will know for yourself what I'm talking about. If you haven't tasted that, as you continue practicing, either in daily life it can definitely happen, on retreats it can happen, um, uh, you, you'll, you'll see. And basically it's because you hit this place that's so steady and stable, supported by the concentration. Now it's dependent upon, it's conditioned. It's not an ultimate freedom from the hindrances, but it's conditioned by the concentration. It's supported by the concentration. The concentration's not there, the support's gone. Would have been a different story. Concentration is there. Quiet comes and goes. No, it's not, it's, it's not, not a, I'm, I'm, you sort of get underneath it. You're in a whole different place. So that's, I don't want to say more about it. If you don't have experienced it, it's hard to describe. Right? That's an example of how through concentration, it, it, uh, there aren't really hindrances so much anymore, or when they, they're seen very clearly. And if you get strong enough, they actually cannot arise in the moment. Well, that's great, except that we can't, concentration is a conditioned state. Concentration comes and goes. It's not enlightenment, no, even the deepest states. You know, it comes and goes. But it's a tool. So I want to say that this is another one of those catch-22s we need to develop a certain degree of concentration That's uh, to suppress the hindrances. That's why concentration, one of the reasons, not the only, one of the reasons why concentration is so important as part of, that's why uh, Vipassana is not just mindfulness, mindfulness, it's mindfulness support and concentration supported by the concentration. They're together. And that's what we call insight meditation. And we'll talk more about that when we talk about the four foundations of mindfulness. Even if you're doing mindfulness practice, part of what it's doing is strengthening concentration. So we'll come a lot more to that. Strengthening concentration suppresses the hindrances, but we've got to suppress the hindrances or set aside the hindrances to enough of a degree in order to be able to concentrate. Can I ask a question? Yes. When you say suppress, we're going to talk about that. That they're still there, but pushed down under the surface? Yeah, or? that's exactly what I mean when I say suppress. Okay. So that's, a whole, we haven't, yeah, so you're just a little, it's exactly right, and that's a great question. It's a little bit ahead of me, which we may or may not get to this evening, but it's, it's really getting into, so then there's setting aside the hindrances, there's, or there's letting go of the hindrances, there's suppressing the hindrances, there's different ways to work with them, and they all can have a place. So we're going to get into, we're going to be talking about all that stuff, exactly. But yes, I, and there is something actually, so I, right now I'm being a little sloppy with the way I'm using language, and yes, um, I'm sort of mixing in, setting aside the hindrances, sort of getting over it or getting past it, and suppressing them. Yeah, right. And there's a place uh, really for both. We want to be wise and skillful because suppressing, this uh, can get into these hindrances are bad, they're terrible. We're already caught up in aversion again to the hindrances, and then I've got to squish these things, and all of a sudden we've set up a whole other duality in a problem. So we will get into all that. We need to be wise and skillful enough to know what's needed. And there's a whole list of ways the Buddha laid out in working with these difficulties. When is it time to suppress? When is it time just to let it be? When is it time to let it go? He, he had these five steps, and we'll get into all that. So we're going to come back to that, but to know as we start, we can. I hope it's getting clear that we need we need 
to be able to, there's a lot of different aspects to think about how we hold, how we relate to the entrances. Very, very important, all of this. So then when, when, we, um, when we go through each one and talk about them in detail, one of the things we'll be wanting to look for is not only to come to understand them and understand the tools and the ways to work with them, but also then uh, which of these methods, and we sit down and meditate. So if you come in here, just getting back to exactly what you said, you come and you sit down at home here, wherever, okay, I'm going to meditate. So you sit down, you start with whatever your practice is, say breath meditation, for example. That's my practice. So I sit down with the breath. Maybe you're just going along, working, getting concentrated, quiet, it's going along how it goes, great. Then whatever's going to arise, it's going to arise. You may have hindrances that come up. As we said earlier, you will have the hindrances that are coming up. It's not possible to not have hindrances come up. You may have a particular period of time, one sit where you don't really seem like you're getting much, but it's not possible. So um, um, then the whole question is, how do I work with them right now? And it'll be, do I just kind of know that they're there? Oh, there's aversion, there's ill will, there's hatred, there's greed, there's some restlessness. But there's the jackhammer of, of hindrances, and you're just, no problem, you continue on. Do I need to kind of stop for a second and really go tend to these hindrances and try to tamp it down a little bit? Yeah. So that's part of what we'll have to do is, is, um, is get into all that. Sometimes hindrance talks one evening and do a whole talk, but really, really want to spend some time on this. So we actually probably won't get into the, the details on that too much tonight. So what I would like to do for now is um, I am going to give you my little trick I said, uh, which some of you have heard me do before, so you'll never forget the hindrances again. Uh, you won't even have to write a list and memorize them. Uh, somebody told me once, it's sort of a silly little thing, but it really does work, so it's a little remembering technique. But first I want to stop and just take a few minutes with what we've said so far about the hindrances. And, and, you know, we've really, it was meant to kind of start the conversation, and I, but I really feel like that some of the things I was talking about from my perspective are more than just intro. They're really integral to understanding the, these hindrances. If anybody has any comments or questions about hindrances or anything that I said or anything else around it. And if not, that's fine, too. The good news is that, uh, by definition, until you're a Buddha, yourself, actually the Theravada tradition, you, uh, uh, at least in this lifetime, we can all become fully enlightened, but we can't become Buddhas. I don't know if that's just a little aside it's that, that I realize I should just be a little more precise about it. Because in Theravada Buddhism, you may or may not subscribe to that. If you become fully enlightened, the term is called an arhat. As a matter of fact, when we do the, uh, the, the refuges, we say namo tasa bhagavato arahato arhat samasambuddhasa. So namo tasa, some of you know the words, 
paying homage to him. Bhagavato, the exalted one. Arahato, the Arahat, it means the worthy one. Samasambuddhasa, the uh, supremely or highest enlightened one. That's, what, that's the, the homage we're giving to the Buddha, just out of respect. So to be fully enlightened in this tradition is called to be an Arahat. And so uh, the Buddha is an Arahat. And if you get fully enlightened, you are considered an Arahat. But the difference is um, that what is it that makes a Buddha? The Buddha is, first of all, they say that to be a the Buddha discovered the path on his own. It's one of the definitions. And now that we've heard the path from somewhere else, we didn't discover it, even though if we follow the path, we're not, we, we didn't discover it. So that, that, that just, you can't be a Buddha. They can't call you a Buddha, even though you can be as fully enlightened. And also it said the Buddha, there's so all these different qualities the Buddha's perfected that you may not have perfected. For example, you may not believe in this, but it's said that he had all these like psychic powers, for example, that were developed. Well, that's, you don't necessarily, that's not, doesn't have to be part of the definition of being enlightened or liberated. It's a different topic. Anyway, that's a little aside because I actually said, by definition, until you're a Buddha yourself, but what I should say is, by definition, until you're fully liberated, fully awakened yourself, there's nothing going wrong, but just by definition, the hindrances or the seeds or potential for the hindrances is not uprooted. So when the hindrances arise, that's why if we can shift our relationship with them, it's unpleasant, we don't like it, but we actually can, it's not that, oh, something's wrong and I gotta fight, you know, I, it, it's not that my meditation is falling apart now because there's agitation and I can't settle down. That's just something to work with there. We see one of the hindrances is there. Oh, I'm not free for it. Oh, can I see what the root causes of that are? Can I start to learn to deal with it? We start to change our relationship. So that just goes with the territory. Yes. Yeah. What was the um, the wording to go back to what what is in the you talking about the refuge? Exactly what the no oh. exactly what the Buddha said regarding the, the five hindrances that you need to set them aside. What was the wording? Well, uh, yeah. So I don't have the. There's definitely setting aside the hindrances. But there also is some language, so I'll need to bring some of the text in here, but a lot of times it's um, setting aside. So for example, one of the, uh, this is getting a little ahead, for example, in, the, in what's called the, some of you have heard the Pali, it's kind of a long Pali word, Satipatthana Sutta. Satipatthana is the foundations of mindfulness. Probably one of the, or arguably the most important, one of the most important discourses in the whole Pali literature. It's the discourse that goes into the most detail about uh, insight and mindfulness meditation practice, Vipassana meditation. So it's a big deal. And it starts with, um, there's a whole phrase of how you start, mindful um, and clearly comprehending, ardent, mindful and clearly comprehending having put aside covetousness and grief for the world, then one begins and goes on. So that's a little statement in there. So 
we come in, we're, we're mindful and clear comprehending. And so sometimes we want to talk about what does that mean? Isn't mindfulness the same as being clear, clear comprehension? We want to understand what those terms are saying because those are important qualities to bring in. Ardent, what's ardency? Then what does that mean, having put aside covetousness and grief from the world? That's often, so it's put aside. So sort of set it aside because as you start the practice, you don't have to have eradicated the hindrances because, again, by definition, you haven't eradicated the, hindrance, the hindrances or the potential for the hindrances until you've come to the fruition of the practice. But we have to at least have set them aside enough to start. So then there's a whole, we're going to get into that a lot. There's a whole thing. How do you set aside the hindrances? So this is a little, I'm just touching on things we're going to get into more. Part of it might be we have to actually, in the beginning, when we haven't strengthened these qualities, we may have to set, set up certain specialized external supportive conditions. That's a reason, for example, maybe uh, this room, you know, even though we work with what we get moment by moment and we don't want to get, say, you know, you have to have perfect silence all the time, you can't meditate. But, and this is something I think actually perhaps we'll have a conversation about, you know, if, if we don't think this room works well enough, or, you know, I think that's actually a conversation worth having to maybe try to get to another room in the building that's more consistently quiet, for example. That has a place to do that. We don't want to do it out of reactivity or aversion towards, towards it, because then we're just caught in ill will again. We've got a hindrance going. But out of being wise and skillful, we may say, you know, we need that's supportive external conditions that are more quiet so we can more easily and have more it's more accessible to do this work to strengthen the inner qualities so then we get to the place where we can be in the MRI with the jackhammer going on and it doesn't matter so that's an example of what some of the techniques some of the tools we may need to set aside the hindrances I don't know I'm kind of getting off into a little does that is that answer clear yes no um, yeah I think so just, well, we're not getting I'm into getting the meat of that, into that Yeah, it's just like, I mean, it's a different thing. I guess I, you know, I'm not shooting at getting enlightened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, I mean, what do you do? You are, what are we trying to do? Are we working with them? Right. Because so we're going to get into all of that. We're going to get into all of that. And so we're going to go into detail on all of that, on how, you, how we work with them. But just to now to say there's not, it's not one size fits all and there's not always one approach. So we'll actually tune into ourselves and say and take a look and feel what's going on. And if we're able to, for example, just be aware, oh, there's a hindrance going on, that's step one. We, have, we can't work with it. Then it may be sometimes just being aware, oh, you know what? There's a lot of sense desire going on. It's really, really kind of making it hard. No problem. Maybe that's all we have to do. And we'll know, we'll feel that the, we're, it's kind of let go around it. Sometimes that's not enough, and it's still kind of got us, so then we have to reflect in different ways uh, to help us kind of let it go. We may have to find more supportive external conditions. We may have to suppress them. Well, how would we go about that? What would be a technique that would help us actually kind of squish them down? Is that sounds kind of, when you think about that, it says, well, gee, that doesn't, so would, would that ever be appropriate? Do we need to or not? So we need to look at all these to get to the specific. We just haven't gotten there yet. There's setting aside, there's suppressing, 
there's diminishing the intensity, which is different than it's suppressing, and there's a lot of different. We're, we're, we're going there to all that. Okay, well, um, here's the way to remember the hindrances. Imagine yourself sitting kind of in the, you're just sitting where you're sitting, you're kind of in the center point. And you're calm, you're peaceful, everything's fine. When sense desire comes, where it's, where there's something very pleasant that we're craving after, this gets, we'll get into it more, you were talking, should we have any desires or not, so just, just put that on hold for now, but since desire comes, we're craving something, and we're trying, it's like we're trying to pull, pull bring it to us, pull it towards us. If something unpleasant comes up, in and of itself, no problem, but if the hindrance of ill will or aversion towards that unpleasant thing comes up, we're trying to push something away from us, right? If, uh, if there's restlessness or worry, we're too stirred up, we're too agitated, we're too up. We can't settle down. If we have sloth and torpor, the energy's too low and dull, we're too down. So imagine then it's four movements of the mind like this. Can you all see my hand here? It's real simple. Here I am, it's a movement of, and I'll explain each one. Out, in, up, or down. Four different ways the mind can move. Pushing away, aversion. Pulling towards me, grasping the pleasant sense desire. I'm too up with restlessness and worry. I'm too down with sloth and torpor. Just remember this. You don't just, just don't go out to the side, that's all. <laughs> Either go back, out and in or, or up and down. So you have to remember a little bit it's not side to side. Right? Sense desire, aversion, ill will. You know, come to me, get away from me. Too stirred up, restlessness and remorse, too down, slop and torpor. And then the fifth one is skeptical doubt. So you gotta remember that one. Okay. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you scratching your right. And then that's yeah. So. so now, ever gonna forget the hindrances? No. You may forget the word exactly that we use, but you don't actually have to remember. Just remember this. In a moment, when you're meditating, for example, or at any time in your life, it's not just meditating, of course, but we're specifically here applying it towards the meditation practice, but at any time in life, notice what's going on. Notice how you're relating to what's going on. If there's some suffering, look to what's the cause of that suffering with what's going on. Because there could be something unpleasant happening, and, and you know, when I was in the in the MRI, it was unpleasant to hear the, the jackhammer sound. It was definitely unpleasant, but no problem. So it's not whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, it's how we're relating to it. And if you notice that I'm moving that way towards whatever it is, I'm just trying to push it away. There's some kind of like get rid of quality. If it's really pleasant and great and I'm getting caught up in it, which is the thing that makes it a hindrance, not the thing itself, I'm really trying to hold on to it. I want more if I'm pulling it towards me. If I'm too up, maybe I need to, if I, if I can be aware of having uh, restlessness and work with it, it's not a problem, actually. It's not a hindrance. But if, it's, if I really need to bring it down, so be aware, I'm too up, then how do I bring it down? If I'm too down, 
it can be worked with it with. I've had a, I remember one time I had a meditation. I was on a long retreat. I was staying up late at night. Probably should have gone to bed earlier, and I was so sleepy. I could have stopped, but I decided to work with it. There were only there were only two experiences going on: intense sleepiness and an t- intense aversion to sitting there trying to meditate with the sleepiness. That's what's going on. And I was actually quite mindful and clear of both. So I decided I hung out with it for a while. I, thought, I knew I could get up anytime I wanted to go to sleep. So you can actually work with it, but not so easy. So if you can just hang out there, that's all right. Or maybe I need to figure out how to either sleep or get the energy up. So that's how you can remember. So that's kind of getting us started on this important path of the hindrances. And again, if we really get to know these hindrances and understand the teachings around them, that's the doorway into everything practically that the Buddha was talking about. Every list, every type of practice. It's just amazing how much the Buddha talked about the hindrances. So there's a lot of material there. Okay. Any last Thoughts? Feelings? Okay. Well then let's do this to end. Please take a few moments to check in with yourself. Into the in with your body, the mind, states of the heart. When I say the heart, I'm not necessarily being the physical heart, but of, you know, emotions, moods, feelings. Just your whole experience of being right now. And just see, check in, what's, what's happening. You may have just a general sense in the body. There may be specific things. There may not be much. That's, that's still, it's not nothing. If you're just kind of in between, well, that's still an experience. If there is something going on, maybe one of the, we just touched on the hindrances, so we, you, you, you may not be totally clear, but just in a general sense, check in and notice, is there something unpleasant? Maybe you're tired and you know, or anxious to get out the door and get home. Or maybe you're restless. Or maybe talking about it stirred up a little something. Or you didn't like the talk, or you could, or there's something you really did like, or whatever. Notice if that those forces are there a little bit. Notice how you're relating to your experience. Right? So if there's something unpleasant, see if there can be that sense of just being with it, or notice if there's some reactivity going on, or some place that just can't relax and uh, kind of sit back into whatever's going on. We're just checking it out. We're just checking it out. And see if you could just come to a place that's just kind of letting be, relaxed, with whatever your experience is. Not having to make it more pleasant, necessarily, but just being in your experience. I would invite you to 
check in with your heart and see um, just where it's at. And if, if it feels like uh, you can just stay being mindful of your experience, but if you'd like to um, work with the states of the heart a little, seeing about opening your heart in some loving kindness, in some metta. You know, holding yourself with some kindness, um, just, just allowing yourself to, to be here right now and have your experience the best you can. We just do the best we can without a lot of judging and fighting against ourselves. Of course, that's, that's great. Uh, that's a lot of loving kindness for ourselves right there. And if you can't do that, you know, then you know, have some acceptance for that place. We always say that. And then opening up to include all the other fellow Dharma practitioners who are here together this evening. And just see what it's like to hold everybody else in your heart. It may or may not come easily for you to do that. people who are, you may be going through a difficult time yourself right now. You may know of people who are having a difficult time right now. So holding yourself in your heart, you know, when, when we're suffering, we need a lot of, we need a lot of compassion for ourselves, especially when it's really big. Sometimes it's not so easy to find the peace and the equanimity in the middle of really the hardest part. And sometimes we're just stuck in it. And definitely at all times, but in those times especially, we need a lot of love and compassion for ourselves for sure. And also if you know of someone who's in some suffering, uh, you know, to the best you can, it's not always easy, um, you know, holding them in our heart, uh, you know, the best we can. Just the best we can. And then finally, letting the heart, you can stay with that or as much as you can, you, you, you could expand out further into whole community, really the world, and sending that same loving kindness out in all directions. And then finally, let us offer up if there's been any um, merit, which really means any good qualities, any goodness, any wholesomeness that's come about from our time, from our practice this evening. Let us offer it up. May it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. Wishing may all beings uh, be happy and peaceful. And may all beings everywhere come to an end of suffering. Thank you all for your practice this evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.